This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition, a Thanksgiving week edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports. I'm Craig Smoke, writer, reporter, uh, also radio host for Sikkim365.com. Joined, as always, by Grayson Grunhafer, director of broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter for, you guessed it, Sikkim365. we got a gang of folks behind the scenes helping us out as well Jacob Jack and Garrett with us and uh, hope you're having a good one maybe you're traveling to your hometown or your in-laws or wherever you may be going for Thanksgiving but we do appreciate you having along for the ride and hopefully we we can uh, kill some of that time in an enjoyable way for you and uh, at minimum uh, get you tuned up for one final regular season game for this Baylor football team now six and five on the year and heading into the finale of the regular season on the road in Austin to take on the Texas Longhorns. Grayson, happy Thanksgiving. And, uh, well, I wish we were coming into this game talking about some big win, but instead we are going to be talking about one of the more deflating wins in Baylor football history. 29-28 to number four TCU at home last weekend. So uh, that's behind us, although we're going to officially put that behind us here in the next few minutes. And now, you know, UT on the horizon. Um Regular season, the end upon us. How are you just sort of feeling about this week? Yeah, I mean, we knew the end of the year was going to be tough with the games that they had remaining, but they had a great opportunity uh, on Saturday. And, you know, I I think it's one of the more deflating losses um, I've seen a team like Baylor take. I mean, there's a few that come to mind in my time watching Baylor when you think about, you know, the Cotton Bowl in 2014. That was definitely one. Last year against TCU was another one. But this one just, it, it felt like a whole nother level um, for some reason. I don't even really know why. It was much in line with that Cotton Bowl loss. But, you know, it was tough. Um, I'm glad they bounced back from the Kansas State loss. They came out, they played really hard. And so I know we're going to dive deep into that. But it was definitely, you know, tough to watch and tough to see. And uh, that's just kind of the epitome of what this team has been all year. Just moments of greatness and moments of just, you know, what in the world was that? And that's kind of what it's been all season long. Yeah, what in the world was that on Saturday? Uh, that was a all-time bad loss. Um, and not even in the way that they play, just in the way that it finished. Uh, I do think that in the prisoner of the moment, you know, takes and, um, you know, hot sports opinions and everything else that come immediately after a game. And then even in the, you know, after effects, there's a lot of obviously venom and a lot of anger and a lot of disappointment and a lot of just all sorts of different types of emotions. And I think some of the good things do get lost, but yeah, that was a, that was a bad loss. I mean, and not in the way that like Kansas state was a bad loss. It was a different type of bad loss, but the worst kind of loss against that team in that setting on that day, just because, man, your your fans showed up. They were ready. They were they were there. They were ready to pop. They were people ready to to run onto the field and storm it and uh, have this big celebration. And Kansas State would have been this long distant memory just like that. And this season would have felt totally different than it does right now. But instead, they're six and five, uh, looking to avoid six and six against Texas on Friday, uh, a day. 
uh, less than normal to prepare for this upcoming game and obviously being on the road, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a good thing after what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Dave and Randy even acknowledged that. I will say that their home woes, that is something that kind of like the road woes last offseason, that has to be addressed uh, when we get into the time to address those types of things. But that's not for this week. This week's about Texas. This week's about licking their uh, wounds and um, just trying to salvage a win before going into the long break that will be uh, bowl season and finding out their assignment and who they'll play and all of that. So let's dive into TCU, get this game uh, out of the picture for the foreseeable future, burn it uh, right now, so to speak, and then move on to Texas and the mailbag and then the Thanksgiving break for everybody. But uh, yeah, man, this one is going to be particularly tough. All right, so Baylor gets the ball to start the the efforts in this game. Uh, you think, like, that's probably a good thing, just to get out there and just kind of throw your offense and not go down 7 nothing. So I, I kind of liked this, and I especially liked it given the fact that uh, it worked, them getting the ball to start off things as they go 11 plays, 76 yards, and a little over five minutes. Uh, little Craig Williams on this drive, some Quaylen Jones on this drive, some Blake Shapin, both running and passing on this drive. You have Dylan Doyle picking up a big fourth down and one on this drive. And uh, move the ball really well eventually. It's uh, Quaylen Jones getting into the end zone. Ten-yard touchdown run on second down and six uh, from, you guessed it, the TCU 10. And boom, it's 7-0 after the first drive of the game. And um, fans popped huge. Uh, this was a good Way to get things started against the number four team in the country. Yeah, nine carries on this drive, and I really came away with, you know, my thought process was, wow, Baylor's going to be able to run on them. And it for TCU, I, I'm not sure that they were expecting that. You know, expecting like, okay, Baylor's going to be able to run the football. How are we going to respond to this on the Baylor side of things? I bet they were sitting there going, oh, man, if we're going to be able to run like this, we're going to have a lot of success on the offensive side, which obviously, as we know, they did. But um, great drive here. Went for it on fourth down. Love seeing that. Love seeing the run game really get going. Squirrel looked great on this drive. Quaylen Jones as well. Um, just a great way to start. And when I talked to you all on Friday on the radio show, I mentioned that in order for Baylor to win this game, they had to get off to a quick start uh, because we know how good TCU's been in the second half and coming back in games. Uh, so this was kind of the perfect start for Baylor, getting on the board early and really establishing the run game, which I felt like was going to be very important going forward in this game. So they do exactly what they need to do. They take some clock. They you know keep the offense on the field, and then they punch it in. It's 7 nothing. You feel great about that. And then, man, you really start to feel good after TCU gets their first possession and uh, – Go three and out uh, right out of the gates uh, as the Baylor defense steps up. So already playing some nice complimentary football, getting a score, getting a stop, getting the ball back, and um, defense does their job. And then the whole game flipped after this, basically, and turned into what it was going to turn into, where you started to see some of the mistakes that would later uh, add up. Every little thing adds up, especially when you lose by one point, uh, thanks to a field goal at the very end of the game. Spoiler alert. But I think everybody listening to this probably knows that result all too well. But truly, this is where you start to see points come off the board that otherwise would have helped you win this game. Uh, as Baylor gets the ball back, eight plays, they go 45 yards, and uh, eventually get stopped. A big penalty, big penalty is kind of where this whole ball gets rolling. Most Jeffrey gets called for a false start. So it's uh, now third and 15 
at the TCU 28 rather than third and 10 at the TCU 23. And why do those five yards matter? Well, eventually, uh, incomplete pass following that, so it's fourth and 15, and you end up having to kick a 46-yard field goal rather than a 41-yard field goal, which in this case, would have helped. Into the wind, too. Into the wind, yeah. because you were short on the kick, so no good. John Mayers misses from 46 into the wind. That penalty, obviously, like I said, did not help, and there's three points that are off the board. Yeah, and there was also seven points off the board the play before because Blake Shapin yes, had Monterey was. Baldwin wide. I mean, just for any college quarterback, wide open. I mean, a throw that has to be made, and you can make an argument that Monterey jumped too early. Monterey, you know, the the ball was thrown okay. He should have been able to go up and make a play. But the fact of the matter is, Blake Shapin had 15 yards of end zone to lead him downfield, and he had the whole sideline to lead Monterey as well. And what did he do? He threw off his – literally, it looked like he threw off his back foot and threw the football like a baseball on this specific play. His footwork was off on this throw as well, and he underthrew him, and he was late. I mean, he had him. It, it could have been a touchdown. And so, yes, they missed the field goal, so there's three points. But it really could have been, you know, a seven-point turn there if he's able to convert on that on that throw. as a perfect play call. Monterey was open. Uh, just missed him. Yep, did, uh, in fact, um, miss the opportunity there for a touchdown. Could have made it 14 to nothing. And, it, yeah, you can point wherever you want. But, yeah, that was an off throw. And I think the whole thing, every time, every week, I hear about Blake Shapin throwing off his back foot or – Bad footwork or sidearm. Like how many times we got to hear that? Yeah. Like I mean, it's it's literally a plane with with fire thing. It's like every time you do that, in some form or fashion, it comes back to haunt you. And yet here we are, and it's freaking week eleven, man. And we're still throwing off the back foot. We're still doing baseball stuff. And like I get that you can't shake every little trait that you have, but when that gets you into trouble every single week. Uh, and ends up in a bad pick that hurts your chances to win a game or in a missed opportunity that hurts your chances to win the game. Like, I can I, – I don't know, man. I, I can understand it for a while. But, like, at this point in the season, it's like, how, how are you still doing the exact same – like, that's where my frustration comes in. Not, not like, all venomous against Blake and everything like that. You know, I know some people are very upset and feel this way or that way about everything. But – I'm just frustrated because it's like, why keep, like, I'm just banging your head against the wall. Right. I and, mean, that's the frustrating part. And when he is true to his mechanics and when he has time to step in the po- step up in the pocket, as Dave Rand has mentioned, he's been very good. But the problem is, is like on this throw, he had time. He had an opportunity and his mechanics, his technique, his footwork, they were just off. And unfortunately, it seems like every week there's just, a couple plays here, a couple plays there where it really costs this Baylor team. And then you look at the rest of the game, you're like, wow, he played so good, but you can't take out those few plays. That's the difference between a win and a loss, and it has been all year long. And that's the difference in how he's viewed versus how he's yes. probably really played is that yeah. people just completely overlook all the good he does because there's like a couple plays that are bad, that are really bad, and you can't wash those out of your brain. And they're super costly. Yeah. Like some of the plays he's made have just been just complete game changers, and this was one of them. So like I said, um, with that – that false start penalty with Mose Jeffrey, that kind of got everything trickling downhill because you had that false start, you missed the field goal, and you had um, you know, you had the, the missed uh, the throw to Monterey Baldwin. So like just a sequence of events there that really when you lose by one, 
proved costly. And this was like the first set of those events. There were more to come. So uh, how costly? Well, you missed the field goal, and instead of being up 14 to nothing like you should have been with a better throw or being up 10 nothing like you could have been without the penalty or a better kick. Cause it also, it sounded like he kicked the wall, basically. Yeah. I mean, it was not connected very well. No. For, I could hear in the press box, like, just a thump. Uh, so, you know, better kick for whatever reason, and it's 10 nothing Instead, Grayson, it's 7 nothing after all that. And TC promptly says, all right, thank you. Seven plays, 72 yards in three minutes and 36 seconds to close out the first quarter. They tie it up uh, at seven with just a little bit of time remaining in the first frame. Uh, Max Duggan with a seven-yard touchdown run. And just like that, instead of 14-7 or 14-nothing, instead of 10-nothing, it's uh, now 7-7 heading into eventually the second quarter yeah and a theme for tcu they pretty much needed at least one explosive play on almost all of their touchdown drives and that 39 yard one to quentin johnston which would be you know one of his few huge plays of the day because he got nicked up late um i think he's just dealing with nagging injuries what it seems like at least to me and it got re-aggravated but tcu they need the explosive plays in order to be effective offensively and they got one on this drive and they uh capped it off with a touchdown like you mentioned Yep, uh, they are dangerous, man. If you let them just have a little bit of daylight, they can really hurt you, and they've got a lot of weapons, but they were down a bunch of those guys in this game, which makes it equally frustrating, is that you didn't have a 100% healthy Quentin Johnston. Yeah, late. Because in the beginning, he was fine, and so was Kendra, right? It was late in the game that they left. Yeah, he wasn't... um, He was kind of wishy-washy for a good port, and I think that, you know... um, was it Darius Davis? Maybe I. I don't know. I, I just know that TCU is kind of in and out as far mm-hmm. as their their full array. But regardless, that's, that's part of the deal. And uh, certainly Baylor had their own. Gavin Holmes didn't play in this game at all um, after getting hurt on the opening kickoff, according to Aranda. Uh, obviously, there's you know how healthy is Richard Reese? Apparently, yeah. he's healthy, but just the way he's worked in now is different. But uh, regardless, TCU ties ties it up at seven, and then. How about the Bears? Um, this is their day. You can just feel it. Nine plays, 75 yards. They respond with a big touchdown drive to make it 14-7 to going from the first quarter into the second quarter. Uh, just a bunch of guys contributing. The entire plethora of guys in the backfield all have carries on this drive. And eventually, though, it's the uh, young freshman's tight end and Kelsey Johnson who's uh, I wouldn't call this a star-making performance, but i definitely call it a star-building performance. Uh, and he's on his way to to that status if he keeps getting better, which he should as just a true freshman. Uh, but he gets his first of two touchdowns on the day. This is the first career touchdown run of Kelsey Johnson's career on uh, first down at the TCU two-yard line. He punches it in. Extra point good, 14 to seven bears. Yeah, and the throw to Josh Cameron by Blake Shapin was an absolute dime on the run. That was an impressive throw. So I want to reiterate, there are times where he makes very good plays, and that was absolutely one of them on third and 12, kept the drive going. That was a strike. Beautiful ball by Blake. And, of course, the run game continued to get going. They score a touchdown here. Nice, uh, nice play call to Kelsey Johnson as well. Um, I really felt like Jeff Grimes was just in his bag in this half. I mean, he was – I mean, those those counter plays, uh, slow-developing counters were so fun to watch. I, he was awesome. Like, he was fantastic, and we're going to get to it at the end of this half. But um, I felt like the plays he was calling were really perfect uh, to utilize against this TCU team. And so those scores earlier, those really proved costly here because you'd be up by – 
couple scores. You could be up, yeah. I mean, pretty significant margin. Uh, not At least blow- 17 7. Yeah, yeah, not blowout territory, but up a couple scores and feeling pretty good as you get closer and closer to halftime. But uh, it's just 14 to 7 here, and then it's soon 14 to 14. TCU goes five plays, 90 yards, responds right away. Uh, but this drive, not without some controversy, is a completely bogus phantom uh, pass interference call on Mark Milton in the end zone. Gives TCU a first down, and uh, they punch it in uh, with the score right after that uh, as Kendry Miller gets on the board from two yards out. But um, this is one of those that you watch it in real time and you go, all right, does this referee have money on the game? I mean, truly, because there was really no other explanation whatsoever other than the Big 12 offices sent them a message prior. And I'm not, like, trying to be accusatory here, but that's the the thought that has to go through your head when you see the replay. And you go, what pass interference? And why would there be pass interference here? Uncatchable football without question. And so no matter what Mark Milton was doing, you can't catch that football unless you're Inspector Gadget with go-go arms. And so, yeah, this is one of those that you're just like, okay. Um, And Quentin Johnston really didn't make a crazy effort to go get the football either. So even if it had been thrown even in play, it was still kind of iffy. But the fact that the ball was so far out of bounds, like, Oh, yeah, that that was really tough. I would also say, once again, TCU hit a 77-yard play to Tay Barber. Once again, the only way they were really scoring against Baylor in this game was drives that started with very big explosive plays. Um, But, yeah, that was a tough call and one that I I feel like at home really needs to go your way. Like, when you're playing at home, you you can't – that call can't be made in my eyes. Um, And it wouldn't get made at at many – for many programs, but it did on Saturday. Yeah, and that's the one that makes you go, okay then, all right, this can be that kind of a day. And, um, you know, they get the benefit of the call there. Uh, You're right, big, huge, explosive play uh, earlier in that drive to set it all up um, as uh, Tay Barber went nuts with a huge, huge gain um, and, you know, got them in business uh, deep in Baylor territory and – they finished the job with a little bit of an alley-oop from the Zebras. But, uh, yeah, that was that was super questionable. Regardless, it makes it 14-14. to 14, And then we start to settle in here. Bay- Baylor, 11 plays, 37 yards on their following drive, and they end up uh, going forward on fourth and one and get stuffed at the TC 39-yard line. So, um, no dice here. Um, you, love them, you love them rolling the dice, but uh, unable to convert as Squirrel gets stuffed not only not able to get a yard, but he gets, like, dropped for a loss. Another like a pitch, yeah. pitch play. Gets yeah. dropped for a loss. Uh, TC was not having it. They get the ball back. Not able to really do anything with it. Five plays, 24 yards. Uh, they are forced to punt. And uh, Baylor gets the ball back. And, again, another play where there's, what, probably three or four of these things already yep. that you're talking about the pass interference. You're talking about the missed field goal. You're talking about the missed throw to Monterey right. Baldwin. Um, what am I uh, – you know, I guess you could throw a penalty or two in Get there. stopped on fourth down. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, so yeah. there's a handful of plays that are game deciding at this point already. And then this one uh, obviously takes some points off the board as well. Baylor, with a chance to take the lead going into halftime, goes 11 plays, 76 yards in a little over a minute and a half. And on first and 10 from the TCU 11-yard line. Now, they were going to have to be careful here. They only had probably two plays to run. So, if they, you know, obviously this play doesn't work. They're going to probably have to kick a field goal. But there's points out there, and then there's suddenly not any points out there because on that first and 10 play, Blake Shapin intercepted in the end zone. TCU 
picks it off before the half. They go into halftime tied at 14 apiece, and just you cannot do that. No, and this was really frustrating because this was Blake's best drive. I mean, he had to make a lot of throws on this drive. We got to see some Cameron Bonner come in there and make a big third down catch as well. Um, And he just drove them all the way down the field. And then, you know, first and 10, and it's just like, hey, uh, we just can't turn the ball over. We'll take three to points. Anything here, but right? that. Anything yeah. but that. We'll we'll take three points. And that throw was so bad. I mean, it was late. It was inaccurate. And as I was telling these guys before we got on the air for the show, it literally felt like Blake just closed his eyes and was praying that it got to Monterey. Like, because it just didn't feel like that was the kind of throw that had any chance of getting caught, especially because he was so late. And the ball was so far underthrown. Um, frustrating one, and one that you can't have when you're playing the number four team in the country and you're trying to pull off an upset. And it's also one of those things where you played such a great first half, you just did not want to go into halftime, you know, tied or trailing. And they had an opportunity to have at least a three point lead going into the half and just completely gave that up. And so. they could have been up by like 17. Could easily. Yeah, they easily. could have been up by like 17, at worst by three. Instead, it's 14 to 14 after all of that. 21 to nine was the time of possession in that first half. And I'm pretty sure the yards was like 300 and something to 150 something. It just was not even close. Not a competitive game of football if you just looked at the two teams, who was moving the ball, who was making plays. But then you look at the scoreboard, and it's 14 all. So, third quarter, TCU also gets the ball to start the second half. So, that was an even bigger play that ended the second half that you kept points off the board, and then they get the ball back. Um, So, uh, they end up, fortunately for Baylor, doing nothing with it. Eight plays, 26 yards. The Baylor defense stiffens their necks and uh, gets a big stop. And so, Baylor gets the ball back and uh, proceeds to uh, do even less with the football. Uh, Three plays for negative three yards. Three plays for negative three yards. Richard Reese gets stuffed on first down and then two incompletions, and uh, you are back to punting, and hey, it's okay, though. TCU's going to give it right back to you at the Baylor 10, uh, what, the TCU 45-yard line. Uh, Max Duggan doesn't throw a lot of interceptions, but he does here. Gets picked off by Devin Neal. Uh, Huge turnover, huge turn of events for the Bears. Huge spark except it wouldn't really be, uh, as they turn right around and go three and out again. Uh, Three plays, nine yards, um, unable to uh, secure a first down, and they are back to punting. That eventually leads to a quick strike from TCU. Three plays, Max Duggan um, with with the touchdown pass to Henderson, and they're on the board. Touchdown Frogs. It is suddenly 21-14 TCU after all of this. 20. Yeah, Yeah, excuse me, 20-14 um, and then they missed the extra point out of nowhere. Griffin Kell, who'd later be the hero, I guess he's just being dramatic, uh, misses the extra point. So, yes, 20-14. to 14. But the fact the Frogs had the lead at this point was was notable and remarkable almost in a way. But, um, yeah, they're able to score uh, late in the third quarter and take the lead. But that, that little missed extra point didn't feel so little at the time and, and kind of took some of the sizzle off of that that score, even if you were suddenly finding yourself trailing by six. Yeah, it felt like it gave Baylor a little bit of a spark, right, yeah. that he missed that. So I agree with that. I do think that this touchdown was coming because Baylor was just simply not moving the ball out of the half, and they were losing the field position battle terribly uh, to start this half. And so it felt like it was going to come. That's okay, 20-14, to because, as we know, Baylor would respond. 
Yes, they would. Uh, they'd go on a nice drive, 10 plays, 77 yards, and eventually uh, you had Blake Shapin to Kelsey Johnson for the freshman tight end, second touchdown of the day, his first career touchdown reception after his first rushing touchdown earlier in the game. He was a difference maker. Um, extra point was good. It's 21-20, to 20, and uh, it's fourth quarter. It's a close game, and, and really this felt like fun college football atmosphere at McLean Stadium. Then even uh, started to get a little bit more wild here over the next few minutes as TCU would get the ball back, now trailing, and uh, they are forced to punt. Uh, Baylor gets the ball back. It goes five plays, 84 yards. It was almost like they smelled blood there for a second, and it's Richard Reese taking it in uh, from the one-yard line. Baylor up 28-20, to 20, and, man, just feeling good about life at this point and feeling pretty good about what they could possibly do on this fine Saturday yeah great play calling Monterey Baldwin getting uh, space got in space had a great play got to show off his speed a little bit once again at McLean Stadium had a 74 yard reception on this drive great play call and it worked to perfection and then of course they cap it off with a touchdown and you're sitting there 28 to 20 I felt like Baylor was in such a great position right here to close out this game and potentially get the the upset win as well so it's 28-20. to 20. Uh, We're in the fourth quarter now, and these next few drives are going to be what determines the ball game. TCU, after Baylor takes the lead, goes uh, three and out um, and can't do much with the football, uh, only able to gain a yard on the drive. Defense gets a big stop. I mean, they're going to win this football game. They're going to win this freaking football game. And then all of a sudden, the offense just completely fell apart and could not move the football to save their life. They go three and out. Um, Squirrel for two, squirrel for four, third down and four. Shapin scrambles and only gets a yard. Because he slides. Because again. of a slide, which, again, that's been another recurring, like, I mean, have we taught the slide and, like, what the slide, like, when you start the slide is what matters. And, and like, this was the one where he actually had a chance to get the first down. Yeah, like, yeah. I think he probably would have. I, I mean, we don't know for sure, but I think there was a an opportunity there for him to get the first down at minimum at least get them close enough to where they could have thought about going for it even. But instead, <sighs> he gets a yard. Yeah, that, um, and I, I don't know how the the sliding thing's taught. I, I know it's been a work in progress somewhat, but the whole, like, where you start's yeah. very important. And that's been important, like, on four or five occasions this year. I mean, that's not gone away. So they end up punting it back. And there goes TCU. 11 plays, 90 yards in a little less than five minutes. DeMarcado with the touchdown run from three yards out. It's 28-26 with less than three minutes to play in the game. And then they totally whiff on their two-point conversion attempt, uh, aren't able to connect. The play was there. It was there for the making and the taking, and they just simply can't connect as Max Duggan looks for DeMarcado again, and he can't reel it in. Should have uh, been a, a successful two-point conversion. Instead, Baylor's up 28-26, and they get the ball back, and all they have to do is get a first down and run some clock, and they are going to win this football game. I mean, a miraculous And Duggan even stop. thought this game was over. Yeah. When, when the ball was dropped, did you see him grab his helmet and just basically go, wow, yeah. we just lost this game on this. We're not going to the college football playoff. It's all over. You got the Baylor fans jumping over the rails, getting ready to storm the field. Um yeah, did not go to plan. <laughs> no, Baylor gets the ball back. I mean, all they got to do is just get a first down. And uh, instead, Craig Williams rushes for two yards. TCU calls a timeout. Quaylen Jones rushes for 
what, negative two yards. Uh, TCU calls their second timeout. And then on third down and 10, Blake Shapin runs for eight yards. He's short. TCU calls their final timeout. Baylor at their own 26 can't not punt the football. I mean, they have no choice but to punt the football. And, um, yeah, they have to punt the football, and they give it back to the Frogs, who proceed to take it nine plays, 46 yards on a crucial third down and one. Uh, They're able to pick up the first down. They then convert a third down and seven, or excuse me, uh, then they face third down and seven, uh, only able to get three yards, puts them in a fourth and four, uh, which in turn means a 40-yard field goal attempt for Griffin Kellis. Time's literally running out, ticking away. They have to scramble drill this bad boy. They get on the field. They get it off, and uh, they get it through the uprights from 40 away. Griffin Kell, the game winner, as time uh, falls off the clock and turns to all zeros. Every second, every play mattered in this one. Every point mattered in this one. TCU wins 29-28, a thrilling victory for the Frogs, who remain unbeaten, a devastating loss for the Bears, who had so many opportunities to win this football game. It had no business really not winning this football game, and yet here was TCU triumphant again in this series. It's like no matter what happens, they're going to win against Baylor. It's just like clockwork, and this one may be the most painful of all the uh, most recent uh, showings we've seen in this series because, man, this was this was just brutal. This yeah. was brutal. and especially because last year's game cost them a trip to college football playoff potentially. Um, and so then you have this one and you have an opportunity to kind of ruin it for TCU like they did a year ago. Can't come through. The run by Shapin on that third down, he had Ben Sims wide open. I know that's been talked about a lot, but he truly was just just wide open. I've been looking at pictures of it. It um, It's shocking. You know, it's a throw that you absolutely have to make. He chose not to. He ran the football instead. Um, they have to punt it. It really felt like for me at least, that if Baylor didn't get this first down, gave the ball back to TCU, they were going to be in trouble. Um, It just felt like that was kind of the flow of the game. And you also wonder, you know, if TCU does get the two-point conversion, is that actually better for Baylor? Um, Because then Baylor's actually going out trying to be aggressive with three timeouts and trying to go score a field goal to win it instead of playing defensive and trying to run the ball and waste time. I don't know, just something that I thought about. Because they'd be playing for the win or overtime instead of playing, you know, not to lose. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair thought. Um, they certainly could have been more aggressive than they were. Uh, I think everybody involved is probably going, what could we have done differently? And it's not hard to, to – didn't take long to look and see where everybody could have just done one more thing. I mean, literally, this is one play changes this game. Yep. And, um, yeah, one you can – sequence, I mean – Yeah, you can point to just about anything you want to and say, well, if that was better, that changes this outcome. Anything would have. Uh, they they lost by one with no time remaining. Um, so everything counted and uh, not a particularly great day from TCU by any means. I mean, definitely um, a game where, you know, I think the whole country thought that they were on upset alert. And sure enough, as that game progressed, I think more and more eyeballs were tuning in and – Unfortunately for uh, Baylor and all the spoilers out there, uh, TCU just continues to find a way. So here they are now entering the final week of the regular season and probably going to go 12-0. and And uh, they're for sure playing in the Big 12 title game against who knows just yet, Kansas State or, or Texas. Probably Kansas um, State. But probably Kansas State. We'll see, though, um, with the uh, Jayhawks and Wildcats tangling this weekend. But, uh, yeah, man, just a tough loss in this series, and there's been a bunch of those here as of late. I don't know what it is that no matter who the head coach is over there, they're going to 
have the number of whoever the head coach is at Baylor. Uh, Dave Arena still hadn't beaten TCU in these first three seasons and has faced Gary Patterson, Jerry Kill, and now Sonny Dykes and just lost in a variety of ways, yeah. too. It's been tough, man, this, this rivalry. So now on to Texas. One more final regular season game. And uh, Texas, a team that's been plenty up and down in its own right. Um, but last week, just kind of probably what they should have been all year, Grayson. Let's lean on Bijan. Let's lean on Bijan Robinson. Uh, Kansas uh, proved no match for them whatsoever. They blew out the Jayhawks, had no trouble with them. And uh, now it's Austin on a Black Friday on Friday morning. And a bunch of people... Um, uh, will, I'm sure, be interested in this game, even if it doesn't have a direct bearing on the playoff, just because it could have a bearing on the Big 12 title game. And obviously, uh, bowl implications for both sides about where they end up in the in the standings of the conference. Uh, so still some some definite things to play for. And in Baylor's case, like they could ju- use a win so desperately. I mean, doesn't matter who it comes against at this point, but to go down in Austin and win against Texas would be not anything that cures all that ails them, but certainly would make things feel a lot better. It would change their bowl vibe as well for what bid they get big time. Uh, because if they win this game, they can still get third in the Big 12 standings, which is pretty crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. But if they lose this game, they're going to be tied with, you know, they, they're going to be tied for like sixth. Um, so, yeah, that changes some things as well. Um, and like you said, Texas just played their best game of the year against Kansas. So I'm curious if they're able to repeat that. I kind of doubt it. You know, this is going to be a Friday morning type game. I, I think this is going to be a sluggish game for both of these teams, to be honest with you. Uh, Baylor's been far better when they've played 11 a.m. games. I know they lost this weekend, but they played really well. Uh, they've had some good moments uh, in their 11 a.m. games this year. So I think they're going to play pretty well in this one. Uh, but going into it, they're an eight-and-a-half-point uh, underdog to Texas. I think that's way too many points. I, I'm really curious where they got that that number from. I know Vegas knows some things and maybe they think Baylor's just going to be reeling after this loss. Very possible. Um, but yeah, going into this one, I feel very good that Baylor's going to to be in this game. I, I don't know quite yet where I have them. You know, we're going to have to make a decision at the end of the show here. Um, I don't quite know where I'm leaning yet, but I do think they're going to keep this game close. I think we'll see another good performance from the Bears. So what about Texas? Uh, yeah. Interest you here. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Quinn Ewers has not had the kind of season that a lot of Texas fans, I think, hoped and thought he would. He's only completing 55% of his passes. Um, so for me, coming into this game, it's very similar to kind of what Baylor needed to do it uh, last week against TCU, which was take away the run game to an extent and force Max Duggan last week, Quinn Ewers this week, to be consistent with his throws all the way down the field. Meaning, don't give up huge explosive plays. Now, Baylor was unable to do that against TCU. They gave up some big chunk plays through the air. But in general, they stopped the run. They forced Duggan to be efficient uh, and convert third downs. And overall, he didn't have an amazing game. He had some good moments, but it wasn't great. It wasn't consistent. They need to do that same thing to Quinn Ewers, uh, which means they got to take away Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson because uh, teams that have had a lot of success against Texas have been able to at least slow down their run game enough and force the quarterback to make a bunch of plays and actually go out and win them the game. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what Baylor's going to need to do defensively, and I, I think they have the guys to do it. We just saw it this week against TCU. They are able to you know, kind of capitalize on that game plan, but now they're going to have to do it two weeks in a row coming off of a very emotional loss and on the road. Um, so that's definitely going to be a challenge in that regard. 
So, kind of like with this team every week, it's just which version shows up, huh? To an extent, I will say, though, I think there's a unique battle that's going to happen in this game uh, that maybe we haven't been totally used to. I actually think Texas can stop Baylor's run game. Uh, Texas has been very good against the run this year. They're one of the better teams against the run in the conference. So I think they can slow Baylor down to an extent. But on the flip side, they do not do a good job in coverage. They give up a lot of broken plays. They give up explosive plays as a defense in the secondary. They don't tackle particularly well either in the open field. So, you know, looking at this game, I, I you know, you think, you know, Baylor probably has to at least run for about 170 yards to have a chance, I would think, uh, just based on how the season has gone. But I also think this is an opportunity for Blake Shapin to maybe end this season on a major high note, um, just because I think there's going to be opportunities with this te- Texas secondary for him to make some explosive plays downfield. Now, he hasn't been able to capitalize that on the year, uh, but I think he could in this one. Uh, Texas. Texas gives up 245 yards passing per game. That is 92nd in the nation. So Baylor's going to have opportunities there. Uh, It's just a matter of if they can take advantage of them. Yeah, uh, which they've been a mixed bag, to say the least, here um, over, what, 11 weeks now. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyone's guess as far as that goes. And kind of surprising for Texas' secondary to be the area that you you point to. But I know they've also experienced some injuries back there. It's been kind of kind of up and down for them in 2022. Yeah, it definitely has. And, I mean, even against TCU, um, you know, Texas really just the, what, 22 yards rushing for them. So, I think, you know, if that trend continues, Baylor should be able to slow down the run game. You know, Baylor's got a good enough front, and they've shown me enough over these past few weeks to feel comfortable with them being able to at least slow them down running the football. I mean, I think Quinn Ewers will give you opportunities to, you know, create some turnovers, create some havoc. Um, so that's going to be a key, but you're exactly right. You know, can Baylor go in and take advantage of an opportunity here? Um, because I do think this is a Texas team that is a little overrated by, you know, nationally. And just, I think a lot of people just view them as some really good team. And then you look up and they're seven and four. Yeah. Um, but the metrics say the, that. I know. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I know I've heard that a lot. Fun but, with numbers, folks, is you can do it right. for like almost any way you want to. I mean, you can tell what kind of tell you want to. I, I do think they're a good team. They're like good. they're a good yeah. team. They're, they're f- fine and probably record wise could be better than they are, but clearly so could Baylor. <laughs> clearly. Right. Both could also be worse than their record indicates. So, like, you're not really – there's no difference there, quite I think frankly. Texas is probably, you know, an 8-4 eight or eight and four type team, a 9-3 and three type team. And I think this Baylor team's like an 8-4 and four type team. If, you know, bounces go, you know, a little bit differently, you have a little bit more luck than these two teams have had this year. Um, you know, maybe. Maybe they're at that level. Maybe Texas is a 9-1 team if you count in the Alabama game at the beginning of the year. Um, but, yeah, you know, in general, I think these two teams are actually very evenly matched. And that's why, you know, eight and a half points, that is far too many. That, that's just, that's total disrespect to this Baylor program and kind of what they've been all year uh, in which only one team has really blown them out to that level. And that was Kansas State um, just recently. So I think that number is a little crazy. Um, but I do think Texas does present some unique challenges for Baylor, especially in the secondary. But on the flip side, I, I just don't think their quarterback is consistent enough to really take advantage of those as consistently as we've seen some others, uh, like Will Howard or Spencer Sanders do against Baylor. Yeah. He's uh he's like Blake Shapin. Uh, if yeah. you give him time, which 
Baylor has given some quarterbacks time this year, but if you give them time to sit back and just read everything and you give them a clean defense to kind of purse through, then he's going to make you hurt uh, big time. But if you make him have to think a bit or you put pressure on him, he's not nearly as good. Oh. Um, he's still a freshman quarterback who's learning on the job and is you know plenty talented uh, arm-wise, but he's not so athletic enough that he can just, like, take off out of the pocket running and crush you there like some of the other guys that they've faced, like Max Duggan last week, so right. to speak. Um, but if you give him the opportunity, yeah, he can he can kill you with some th beautiful throws, but if you get in his face a little bit, you confuse him a little bit, make him second guess, make him hesitate, um, he can... He cannot look so sharp, uh, so to speak, and, and you can uh, do some damage on that offense. Um, yeah, he only had 107 yards passing last week. He hasn't been throwing up stats no. really at all, at uh, all here as of late. I mean, here's his here's his last three games to put in perspective. Um, he's completing, uh, so against K-State on the road, 58% of his passes for 197 yards, two touchdowns. Okay. Uh, TCU. He completed 43% of his passes for 171 yards and an interception. Also had negative 15 yards rushing. And then against Kansas, completed 57% of his passes for 107 yards and a touchdown. I mean, none of that really gives me confidence that he's about to put up these massive numbers against Baylor. Uh, he only has one game where he's thrown for over 300 yards um, and then two other games where he threw for over 200 yards. The rest of his games, he's in that 170 range. I mean, if you're going to tell me he's only going to throw for 170 yards against Baylor, I feel pretty good that Baylor's going to be in that game at the very minimum. Yeah, uh, I would think so. Um, anything else before we kind of move on to some mailbag and uh, predictions? Yeah, you know, I, I really do think this game is more about Baylor than it is about Texas. I think it's the quintessential what Baylor team shows up. Is this team actually going to come out here trying to play for something, or is this going to be a team that kind of just wilts in the year because of this close loss to TCU? I, I think that's going to be the biggest question when I'm looking at trying to predict this game. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, Texas is still kind of playing for something uh, because if K-State loses to Kansas, then Texas could uh, get into the Big 12 championship still. Um, so one team's really playing for something. The other team's not really playing for anything. So it's that kind of positioning that's giving me a little bit of question marks about how I think this game could unfold. All right, so coming up uh, this Friday in Austin, 11 a.m., it'll be Baylor and Texas. Both teams could desperately use another win just uh, to feel good going into the break, but also just uh, in terms of the bowl seedings and what comes with that, uh, an important one. And certainly for Baylor, you'd like to break the little losing streak that you're on and just get the bad taste out of your mouth, uh, the worst taste uh, being – this most recent result. So um, you can find a lot more as far as the X's and O's breakdown and analytics and all that kind of jazz over on the website, uh, especially for premium members. If that's what you want to dive into further, there's plenty to dive into as far as the numbers and things like that go. Uh, but just on the surface, I mean, yeah, this is about as much about Baylor playing just their game. And obviously with the TC result, that, that was as much about them playing their game, but then also doing some of the same things that can just – be oh so costly and they had as we ran down uh, a handful at least of those costly you know moments in that game that you know 
feel even worse when you lose by one point. So yeah, uh, very curious how they respond. But I think going on the road, playing a team like Texas that you may not like, but you do respect, you know, obviously the brand and all of that, I think that'll be enough to get them fired up. At least I, I hope so, because uh, we only get to see this team two more times. And it's going to be a while before we see them this next time. Uh, so uh, real quick, uh, recruiting notes coming out of uh, out of this week. Yeah, I mean, there's not a ton as far as, you know, what happened at the game over the weekend, uh, you know, Guys are still locked in with Baylor. They were hoping for them to win, obviously. That's how commits are, and that's how recruits are in general. So, again, not a huge amount of takeaways from this game. I think there is still some positive momentum for Baylor with the 2024 class especially, uh, since their 2023 class is kind of consolidated and already pretty much formed. They have a few extra spots to work with. But I did want to bring up how some of their commits are doing right now uh, moving forward in the playoffs. Um, so you got Austin Novosad. He's moving on to round three. They're taking on Harlingen this week. Uh, he actually texted me today. I didn't quite realize this. He's only played three full games all year because they've just been blowing teams out. And so uh, this game against Harlingen, I think, will be another blowout. Um, but then the next week, they're likely going to play Vandegrift in what will be a rematch in one of the three games he pl- actually played a full game in. Um, so curious how that goes, but still Austin making a big push right now uh, with his Dripping Springs squad as they move forward into round three. A couple other ones, Matthew Klopfenstein, he's starting playoffs this week. They take on uh, Cactus High School uh, there in Arizona. So curious to see how he does uh, with the start of playoffs going on. Uh, West Tucker at Argyle, they're still moving on. They got Grapevine this week in a game that I believe they should win. Uh, Caden Jenkins at Louisville, they knocked off Allen couple weekends ago. Then they knocked off Arlington Martin, and now they play Keller this week. Uh, They're kind of on this crazy tour of playing really, really talented football teams, but they keep winning, Uh, so he's one to keep an eye on. Uh, Bryson Washington at Franklin. Uh, They're taking on Hitchcock this week in what should be another win for them as they're looking to repeat as state champs. And then finally, Ridgepoint defense lineman D.K. Kalu. Uh, They beat Houston Lamar this week as they've beaten... Uh, Houston Lamar, and then the week before, they upset Katie Tompkins. So they're kind of on a crazy run right now, upsetting teams. And now they're about to take on a really good Atascacita team uh, in round three. So very curious how he does. So that's six Baylor prospects who are Baylor commits who are still in the playoffs right now. Really exciting times for those guys. Excited to see how they do going forward and if they can get um, make a huge run and maybe win a state championship. So that's kind of where things are at there. I will say uh, yesterday they offered Drell Boykins, uh, the defensive tackle prospect out of Hutchinson Community College. He's a nose tackle type guy, 6'3", 322 pounds. So they finally put out an offer there to a JUCO think more could be coming as well as they're looking to fill in that nose tackle position with the likely departure of Apuika. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where things are at right now. They're, they're evaluating still. The transfer portal is going absolutely crazy right now. It's been just a whirlwind over the last couple of days since those FCS programs have ended their seasons. Um, so a lot to keep an eye on there and a lot to work through as this Baylor staff is looking to build a really talented roster for the 2023 season. Well, uh, they're going to need to because they're about to lose uh, 20 guys of, of substance, and uh, both of their lines are about to be wiped out, um, not to mention, you know, some key spots kind of sprinkled throughout. I mean, 
almost all their offensive skill talent will return with the exception of like Ben Sims. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, you know, clearly we've learned though, you don't having great lines doesn't necessarily on paper mean that you're going to have some great successful season, because yeah. if that were true, then they would have had a much better year than they've had so far at six and five. But there will be a lot to replace there. And Squirrel, you know, he walked on senior yeah. night, so we don't know. It's, but he could come back and with I would, his injuries. It so. would almost be like a relief in some ways, I'm sure, for him to just not have to worry about it. I'm sure for them to not have to worry about it. But at the same time, when you see him have some runs like he had on Saturday, you're like, yeah, there's not a lot of guys that can do that for them. But and to have him, Richard, and Quaylen all back would be yeah. very nice with Tay. Hoping Tay comes back. But it, it gives you just more certainty with right. their running back position. Um, but yeah, you're right. And then we're also going to find out there's still decisions to be made. Like what's Al Walcott going to do is TJ Franklin going to leave for sure. Like there's still options where they could return TJ and Gabe Hall on the defensive line. And that would make things look way better uh, going into next year. But you're right. They're going to have to replace a lot, especially on the offensive line. That's an area of concern. Yes, they are. Now uh, to hoops uh, here briefly, uh, the Baylor women, uh, lose their first game of the year last week to uh, Maryland on Sunday, 73-68. Uh, of course, they were dealing with the uh, tough loss injury-wise to uh, Asia Blackwell, and still no official word as she has not signed her waiver, but obviously doesn't appear to be very good news uh, to not have word at this point. Uh, so that's rough. Uh, the Baylor women now 3-1 and one on the year, and they'll face St. Louis on Friday in the Gulf Coast Showcase Tournament, and then face the winner of Belmont uh, and Villanova, and we'll see what they do, you know, beyond that. But uh, tough loss. Uh, that's kind of what they were building around. Um, so, And they don't have Drayon Edwards still. Yeah. So it's just like... It's been a rough start uh, yeah. based on that Blackwell injury. Um, but 3-1, and one, we'll see kind of how they navigate that and what the official word is upcoming. Meanwhile, the Baylor men, uh, thankfully, they were able to just provide some joy uh, this past week as, you know, it seemed like everybody was losing. Uh, everything was terrible. And then, you know, they lose to Virginia and what was obviously a very emotional game out in Las Vegas. Um, no, not many games have been played under those types of circumstances. I mean, as far as, you know, the obvious tragic events uh, back uh, on Virginia's campus uh, earlier in the week. And, uh, you know, Baylor and, and Virginia could have very well not played this game and nobody would have batted an eye, but they do play it. Obviously, very emotional. Virginia gets the win. Baylor had their opportunities to win this game and I think learned learned some lessons from this game uh, and then applied some of those uh, a couple days later, uh, turning around and beating number eight UCLA and fending off the Bruins. So that was a huge win on Sunday to close out the Continental Tire Main Event uh, Tournament out in Vegas and... Uh, Good win for them there. So, yeah, first loss of the season, but bounced back with a top-10 win following that. They'll get McNeese State and then Marquette coming up here uh, next week. So we'll be able to preview that one uh, on the next episode. Yeah, before the Gonzaga showdown. Yeah, it's right after that. But, yeah, the Virginia game was really frustrating. They were up 33-30 at halftime, and it felt like, okay, they settled into the game. It felt like they were just going to take control of it at some point and win the game. And then Virginia just totally flipped that switch in the second half. Uh, to start the half, they went on a, uh, I don't even know what the numbers are, but it was 60 to 38 after nine minutes. It was like a 23 to two run or something not, crazy. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. really bad. Um, I guess this is a 30 to five run is what they went on. Uh, in the first 10, 10 minutes of the half. So crazy start. Baylor wasn't able to come back from that. That's tough. I mean, 
it's very hard to come back from a stretch like that. Uh, but like you said, Baylor rebounded. They beat UCLA. LJ Cryer looked really good all weekend for the most part. Uh, Keontae had one good game, one bad game. Um, and then Adam Flagler was pretty consistent as well. So they're starting to get into a groove. Their guards are shooting the ball well. I think they're going to be just fine. Their offense is the number one rated offense, according to Ken Palm now. Um, so they're explosive, but they need to make some strides defensively if they want to really achieve their goals at the end of the year. At least it seems that way to me. Yeah, so uh, good win versus UCLA. Everybody needed that one yeah. badly. Um, so thanks First to- win ever over UCLA. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, I didn't know... I, Maybe I heard that, but yeah, that's cool. Um, that's cool. A little stat coming out of that weekend, and and certainly, like I said again, they they needed that as a athletics program. So good job by Scott Drew and staff. Um, and we'll see what uh, what the next few days bring. But um, now let's turn our attention to the mailbag, uh, Scotty B. We got just a handful of questions this week. Uh, he starts us off. If Baylor football plays all four new members of the Big 12 next season, then which four current members do you prefer not playing against? Mine would be Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State, though TCU is pretty close to be on the list. Man, I am. I guess you're looking at it from a winning perspective yeah. because I would not care at all about playing West Virginia. I wouldn't care at all about playing Iowa State. I wouldn't care at all about playing. Uh, I don't know who else you want to throw in there, but I want to play Texas. I want to play Texas. Uh, I mean, excuse me, Oklahoma. I want to play Oklahoma State, and I want to play Kansas State for sure on that final schedule. I'm not yeah. avoiding the competition. I, those are the teams I absolutely want to play, especially like trading off the new schools. You'd rather play Cincinnati than play Oklahoma or Texas or Oklahoma State or K-State? Not me. I, we'll, we'll differ on that, but... Um, uh, yeah, which four current, uh, yeah, like I, I, I don't care about playing Kansas. I don't care about playing Iowa state. I don't care about playing West Virginia. And then I don't care about playing K state really either. Okay. K state fine. Yeah. They're kind of whatever, but I mean, that's the thing. Who would you prefer not playing? I want to play Oklahoma, Texas, TCU and Oklahoma state. Like those feel like kind of almost rival. I mean, TCU, you can't not play TCU that I feel like that should be your rival in this new Big 12, the team that you play every single year, um, along with Tech. I don't know why you wouldn't play them every year. I think he must be looking at it from, like, the best possible outcome wins-wise would be to eliminate these teams. These teams, okay. Yeah, it, Oklahoma, it, Texas, Oak State, and K-State. I mean, that's two of your losses already this year. Yeah, I think TCU's probably going to be better than Oklahoma State will be next year. With no Spencer Sanders, we've seen their quarterback woes without him. Yeah, let's. who, who would you prefer they not play yeah, against here? <laughs> I think that's, I mean, that's a fine group, I guess, then, if we're going to prefer not to play someone. I, I mean, the new teams I don't think are that great. Like, I think Baylor can beat all four of those new teams. West Virginia won't be good. Yeah, I, so, sure, I'll go with this list. That's fine. Okay. Um, do you think Baylor football needs to address the secondary through the transfer portal, given their issues this year? I was curious because Charles Woods, a starter for WVU in the beginning of the season, has entered the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean, I saw that he entered, but... I. The rumors are he's going to UTSA, at least the rumors that I saw. I also would say, yeah, they need to address it, but they also need to be patient, and they need to find guys that fit what they're trying to do. Um, they probably need one cornerback and maybe one safety. That's kind of the way that I'm looking at it. If I were to put a pecking order, I'd rather have one cornerback over a safety, but I think two makes a lot of sense based on the struggles they had this season. 
Uh, anyways, happy Thanksgiving to everyone, and be blessed uh, as well to you, Scotty. But but yeah, as far as your question goes, I think I listed off the ones that I, I couldn't care about, yeah. but I'm not looking at it of like, how could they best win 10 games either? Right. I'm looking at like, what would be entertaining? I could see people going either way on K-State, but yeah, I, I, I'd almost, you know, if you do want to throw TCU out there, that probably would be good for them, actually, to not have to play TCU for a year, but uh, that is your rival, so um, don't want to... Hard you know, to leave run them away off from the schedule. That. Yeah, uh, bear for cleats. Grayson, have you heard any updates on the staff evaluation of Latravian McCutcheon following his visit last week? Still no offer, so wondering if they pretty much moved on. I don't think they moved on, but I would say that no offer seems to be fairly telling. That you know they decide not to offer him following the visit, but again they're being patient with this. They don't have a lot of room in the 2023 class, and I think they also feel like if they offer him, they they probably feel like they're in a very good position to land him. Um, so therefore, you might want to wait a little bit um, and see how you're doing with the other prospects that you're in on, like Asmaji Burrell or um, you know the JUCO defense lineman that they're looking at and offer Jarrell Boykins and. Um, maybe some other guys as well. But we'll get to know more, I think, with the official visit coming up on December 10th. Um, that's going to be a huge date to circle as far as who they invite on that will likely be the guys that they're focusing in on to try to close out the 2023 class. Dak, JD90, I heard a random rumor on this message board that Kyron Jones plans on transferring after this year. To me, that makes sense for him because if he had a chance to be a starting quarterback at Baylor, it would have happened this year already. Uh, that's not true. Um, what are the chances we are able to keep him and to shape and automatically enter spring ball as QB1, or is it a QB competition depending on who's on campus? Sorry for looking ahead, but at 6-5, and five, I think it's natural to root for this team, but also look ahead to what's next. And, well, yeah, we're already starting to get some ahead questions for next like next year's like top five, and, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm not there, folks. I'm, I mean, there's still two games to play in this season, and we're going to have all offseason, but uh, for the sake of, of it um, – yeah, I mean, the Kyron Jones thing, I saw that too. I saw it pop up on a random, vague Baylor Instagram page that has mm-hmm. no, like, official status behind It's just, I don't know, like, who's behind it or not. I saw rumors pop up there via, I think, a post on the board, like, screen capping it or whatever. And then I think I saw other chatter about it. I'm not sure exactly where it came from. Perhaps you can enlighten us further because I saw things in passing, but... Um, a lot of random rumors can just crop up, and and certainly there's been talk about. There's always talk about the backup quarterback. Right. I mean, and it's an easy rumor to make. Yeah, it's, right? it's it's especially with shape and struggling at times. Yeah, and drones has already been waiting for a while. So yeah, I, I do disagree with like if he doesn't start now, he's never starting. I I think that's bogus. I don't think that that's true at all. But I mean, in terms of this year, yeah, I mean, you're. I don't think people realize, like, collateral damage when you just, like, let's just throw drones as a starter. And, like, you just think that nothing else is going to occur as a result of that. Like, like, shape is just going to swallow that and be fine. And drones is going to be perfectly happy no matter what. And he's going to perform just like Jacob Zeno is going to perform, right? Yep. Um, So, your thoughts here. Yeah, so I guess a couple of takes on this. I I think that... The first part is exactly kind of what you're saying. If you decide to bench Shapen and play drones, then you're leaving yourself susceptible to Shapen leaving. And I think it's very clear that the Baylor staff has felt that this year Blake Shapen is a better option than Kyron Drones. That's okay. That does not mean that at this time next year that he will still be a better option than Kyron Drones. So keep that in mind. I do think that Drones has a nice ceiling. His floor is also much lower at this point in his career. Um, And that's kind of where we're at. Now, on the flip side, there's also this kind of elephant in the room that Austin Novosad is coming in in January. 
So there's going to be even more competition uh, in that room going forward. You're going to have two guys that are very, very talented competing with Blake Shapin, and I do think it'll be an open competition. I don't think, based on what we've seen this year, that Blake has earned the right to just step in as the quarterback week one next year. I think he's going to have to go out and earn it once again uh, this offseason, and I think that's fine because he needs to get better, and these younger guys will get an opportunity to grow and compete as well. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I, you know, I'm not going to speak to speculation really on this, but I will say that, you know, we saw after spring ball that Gary made his decision to leave once Shapin won the job. Um, so I could see maybe at the end of spring ball that there's decisions to be made kind of by everyone, right? After determining what happens uh, with spring football. Yeah, uh, I think there's a decision to be made, to be sure, but uh, it's not happening right now, and it's not happening, you know, switching quarterbacks right now either. That just doesn't, that's not, I know that would make people feel better immediately, just like they're doing something, but I, I just think the, the ramifications are far deeper than just flipping a switch on starting QB1. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll see, Dak, though. I do appreciate the question, and it's a storyline that will be, hanging around for, you know, the next couple of months and perhaps into spring ball and, you know, how far beyond that time will tell. But it is something that's going to have to get settled on again this offseason because Shapin didn't do enough this year to just say, like, oh, yeah, he's the dude no matter what. He's the guy. Um, no, he he's he's left the door open, so to speak. So we'll see how he, how he tries to close it and how others try to kick it open if they, if they can. Alpha Needle ranked the Big 12 quarterbacks from best to worst. Yeah, so I, I think the top two for me are pretty – well, I'm going to say top three, and I know people might have – uh, you know, might disagree with this, but I think Max Duggan, Will Howard, and Spencer Sanders are the three best quarterbacks in the Big 12. And I know Spencer Sanders looked awful this weekend, but the thing of it is is I don't think he's healthy, but I think Spencer Sanders healthy at the beginning, the first half of the year, was the best quarterback in the Big 12 till he got hurt. Um, so I think those three are your top three. Then after that, you kind of have this – group of, in my eyes, healthy Jalen Daniels, which he was not fully healthy last week, but when he has been, I think he's on that list. Dylan Gabriel. And then after that, so there's five. I think those five are, in my eyes, better than the others. And then you have this group of, you know, just this crazy group of JT Daniels, Adrian Martinez, Quinn Ewers, Baron Morton. That's the thing, dude. Like, there's not just 10 quarterbacks. There's like 20 quarterbacks we're talking about here. Tech has three. Well, that Shug, they played. Shug and Smith are like not they're not good. Yeah, I but Morton hadn't played in two weeks. So it's like who's the he wasn't even the starter to start the year. Yeah. He won the starter the second starter but of the I think year. He's better than the that's the only reason why I'm saying okay. he's better than the other two. And like Bean is in that group. Yeah, he's <laughs> played way more ball than Jalen Daniels has. Yeah. But Daniels was better when he played. Um in the first month, you know, like yeah. Well, they were what, six and one with him? Yeah. So I mean I I don't know. I but that's kind of how I view it. I know everyone's trying to figure out, all right, where's Shapin? So I'd probably I think put, that's why the question was asked, right. I believe. Yeah, exactly. So, so Let's I'd, get to that. I would probably put Shapin at like man. It's he's like tied for sixth, tied for fifth. He's like literally Quinn Ewers, JT Daniels, him. Adrian Martinez are kind of all right there together. Even Baron Morton. Like that I was going to say, Tech's fine, but they're not that good. But yeah. those five, like, they're all kind of tied. But I do think the three ahead, like the few that I named ahead of them, Duggan, Howard, Sanders, Gabriel, Daniels, I think are, are ahead of that group, at least how they've played this year. Just this year, not talking about future, not talking about what could be, 
Not talking about supporting cast. I'm talking about how they've played this year. I think he's right around with that group. Yeah, he's in the bottom half. Let's just say that. He's in the bottom half, uh, arguably at five, if you want to split hairs yeah. and say he's right in the middle. Um, you know, but, I mean, yeah, you can – there's no exact science to this thing, but yeah, Duggan's clearly been the best overall. Sanders is probably the best when he's 100% healthy, and then um, Howard, then probably Will Howard. But even then, I mean, it would be nice to see him play like more than a game and a half or a couple of games to see if like you know what's he like his eighth start out yeah. there, and perhaps he's incredible. Don't perhaps, worry, he's going to torch Kansas. This yeah, week. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> well, he, he better if they want to go to the Big Twelve title well, game. Well, no, they play TCU in two weeks in the Big Twelve championship if they beat Kansas. So we'll yep. know more about him for sure. Yeah, but Shapin's in that second half uh, with the the traffic jam of other guys who've you know all been up and down throughout this year. So. Take that how you will. Yeah. Um, but that's definitely where he's at. Uh, McClendon Bear 18, which player players are you most excited to follow this offseason to see how they improve heading into next season? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, you know, there are some guys like Armani Winfield and um, Jordan Neighbors are a few that I'm kind of looking at as far as trying to figure out can they be – alphas in the wide receiver room and that kind of goes for how presley and monterey baldwin as well they still have a lot to prove at wide receiver um blake shapin how about him he needs to be on that list for sure see how he you know takes steps in the right direction the offensive line how about a guy like uh, micah mascua i mean mazuka like he's a guy who i think um they need to to make a huge jump going into next season on the defensive line if gabe hall comes back they need him to turn into all conference gabe hall um, which he showed, he's shown flashes of during his career, but it hasn't been consistent all the time. At linebacker, Josh White would love to see him take a step in the right direction. And then at DB, Lorando Johnson and Devin Lemire are two guys that I think they're going to be counting on next year a lot, and they need to get better. They need to be even better than they were this year and take more steps in the right direction. So those are a few. There's a lot of young guys I'm going to be focused on as well. Um, it's going to be a really fun offseason in my eyes. A lot of young guys that are fighting for playing time. Yep, but uh, first, still a couple more games to go with this group. Uh, this Friday, of course, in Austin, and then uh, whatever bowl game's coming up. But, uh, yeah, it will be a very busy offseason, and there's plenty of, of younger players to to be excited about. I mean, they're going to be losing a lot, but still should have a very good team, very competitive team. And, um, you know, I think the bigger question will be, like, what coaches do they still hang on to after this carousel comes up? Uh, because, obviously, you can say what you want to about Jeff Grimes. you are folks are crazy. I'm sure everybody in the country is like, oh, He's we'll take awesome. him. We'll take him. Oh. And if <laughs> that was my biggest yeah. complaint from the other night was that I, I get the end of the game management stuff that people want to like the, the last couple of drives were not the greatest. They were not the most like, let's right. go win this football game. I can, I will not argue that at all, but to act as though like he cost them the game. It's like, do y'all realize that the mistakes that, like, that we outlined earlier, like all that's in the red zone. Like if they don't do any of those, like if they just do the opposite things, they win by like 17 points in this yeah. game. It wasn't that they weren't in position to make plays. It wasn't that plays weren't there to be made. It's that they simply didn't make them. Players. It was players yeah, not they making didn't, plays. They didn't execute. The and play was there. Yeah. Yes. The shape and throw was not. I don't know how you do not watch that game and come away like, holy cow, Jeff Grimes is just dialing if this they, up right now. If they play a clean wow. game, they not only don't lose that game they win by double digits yeah. and, and so that's where like I get like if you want to get ticky tack and like the last two drives but all the other drives were well enough to for, for, the, for the most part well enough to win that game by a bunch of points so yeah I think that that's 
Um, not that McLennan is, is doing that, but that was just my little side tangent there. Oh, I have a problem with that, too, because Jeff Grimes has been nothing but awesome yeah. for Baylor. Even this year, they're putting up numbers with an offense that looks at times inept, but like they're still moving the football against good teams. Yep, and has no, no, uh, no truly great playmakers, like yeah. truly like game-breaking type of players that can be counted on at all times to be healthy and to be available. Yeah. And the to, health part's been huge, yeah. right? All right, uh, McLennan Bear 18, when do you think next year's schedule will be released? And, man, everybody's all moving yeah, on to next ready. year. Yeah. Which of the four new schools would you not want to play next year? I think UCF brings a lot back. So this is, again, competitive-wise, not – because I'd love to go play in Orlando. That'd be so much fun against UCF. Um, but competitive-wise, you know, I would really not love going and playing at Cincinnati. That just does not sound like fun. That, that sounds like going to Morgantown, which Baylor has had so many issues going to Morgantown. It seems like going to Cincinnati would kind of pose a, a very similar problem. Yeah, I, I would like to avoid uh, the Cincinnati trip, at least in year one. Um, I do think that they're going to be – pretty good um, year in and year out. And I think this year is kind of like their down year for the time being. Right. So if you were going to catch good. them, this would have been a good year to do it. Um, so I think that they'll have a, a busy off season. Um, but I, I don't care about paint, playing in Provo a second year in a row. So I guess if you could avoid, like not because I'm worried about it, but it's just like you just did that. So I'd rather yeah. you not turn around and do that again if you don't have to. But that's just more of a, a scheduling thing. Um, well, and the horror story that that ended up being is BYU was terrible. They were like 7-5 yeah. this year. Yeah. <laughs> Baylor so was West them. Virginia. Yeah. It was another one of their losses where you just lost to a bad team on the road. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, Cincinnati would probably be the main one for me. Um, outside of that, I don't really – I mean, playing in Orlando, that – I do think – I mean, to your point, I think UCF is going to be good. So, if you're talking about just, like, what losses would you like to potentially avoid, then, yeah, I think at UCF would certainly be near the top of the list. I have no idea how good or bad BYU will be next year. They could be losing a lot of talent. Houston's losing a lot, too. Houston's losing a lot. Um and I don't really worry about them, although that's going to be highly competitive. You just know they're going to be competitive. But, uh, but yeah, I guess at Cincinnati, um, that would be the one next year. And UCF would be like 1B uh, mm -hmm. playing in Orlando. All right, McLennan, thank you for closing us out there with that question. And, uh, Grayson, uh, any notes before we go here? Yeah, let's just – you want to dive into the Big 12 oh, predictions yes, for the week really course. quick? Let's yeah. do that really quick as we do every week. Let's start with 11 a.m. on ESPN2. West Virginia travels to Oklahoma State. Take on the Cowboys. Oklahoma State's an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 64. Give me Oklahoma State, uh, as banged up as they are. Uh, nice effort in Bedlam to try and win that game. Just not enough, obviously, in the end. And um, West Virginia's just – Dead man walking, basically. So, yeah, give me the Cowboys. Yeah, I'm taking Oklahoma State here as well. I think they'll they'll get the better of West Virginia. 38-28. Um, I like the Cowboys to get back on track. Next up, 3 p.m. on Fox. Iowa State travels to Fort Worth to take on the TCU Horn Frogs. TCU is a 10-point favorite. The over-under is 47.5. Uh, can Iowa State play spoiler? I mean, they can make it ugly and hope for, like, a monsoon to roll in that prevents TCU from being able to execute the forward pass. Outside of that, no. Uh, they are dreadfully bad offensively. I mean, what an embarrassing year for Matt Campbell and company. I mean, to be this – I mean, they're basically like old Iowa State now. I mean, competitive on defense, competitive enough to keep games close. 
I think they'll give TCU some headaches, but they don't have enough firepower to, to outscore TCU in any situation. So, yeah, Frogs are going to go perfect in the regular season. Yeah, very curious if TCU doesn't have Quentin Johnston or Kendra Miller, how they manufacture offense. But I'm with you. I, I just think they'll find a way to win. And Iowa State's another one of those teams. They just find ways to lose. Yeah, they I mean, Tech, every, every game. Tech scores late in that game, and TC, or Iowa State had, what, two missed field goals, I think, in that yeah. game, and they lose by four points, giving up the late score. Like, just, just what they do. Dreadful football. Yeah, so I'm going to take TCU uh, 20 to 10. I think it's going to be low scoring, kind of an ugly game. Uh, next up on FS1, Oklahoma travels to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech. Uh, the uh, Sooners are a two point favorite over under 64 points. Beats me, man. Uh, I'll go Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know how much better they are or are not than Texas Tech. This will be in Lubbock. Tech's feeling great about uh, the bowl uh, berth as they should. Uh, so I'm sure they'll be hopped up and, and feeling great and, you know, knock off Oklahoma and Texas in the same year, get bowl eligible and all the enthusiasm under Joey McGuire. Um, I could see that. I don't know, man, with this Venables-led Oklahoma team. I'll say Oklahoma by by a smidgen, but uh, I'm not super confident in that. Yeah, the one side of the ball that I trust in this game is Oklahoma's offense, um, so I'm going to roll with that. I'm going to take Oklahoma in this one. I think it will be relatively high scoring, though. Uh, so I got the Sooners 37-30. to 30. Um, I think they get the win, get to 7-5, and 4-5 and five in the Big 12, which would actually be quite a turnaround for the Sooners in the season. Uh, on Fox at 7 p.m., Kansas travels to Manhattan to take on Kansas State. Uh, the Wildcats are a 12-point favorite. The over-under is 62.5 as they've been rolling in uh, recent weeks. K-State, um, no question about it in my mind. Jalen Daniels is back. That's all fine and dandy. They got demolished against Texas, um, just outright, just tossed around like a dish rag. So give me K-State here. Yeah, Kansas can't stop the run. And if you can't stop the run against Kansas State, you're going to have some major problems. So, yeah, I'm going to take the Wildcats relatively easy in this one, 41-20 to 20, as they make it to the Big 12 championship with that win. Uh, final game on the slate is on Friday, uh, November 25th at 11 a.m. on ESPN. Baylor travels to Austin to take on Texas. Texas is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 56 points. Who are you taking in this one, Craig? I think that's a ridiculous spread, but I, obviously they know things that I don't know, um, and so I'm curious to know what that is that they're seeing where this is an eight-and-a-half-point spread because I, I don't think that they're that much better of a team. So maybe there's a magical injury we're not aware of or magic potion that Sark has uh, to close out the season. I don't know, but give me Texas. I just can't put my chips in on this Baylor team at this point, and that was my thing last week, and sure enough, they found a way to – to not secure the bag. Uh, I think they can go win this game just like every other game they played this year. And I think being on the road is actually a good thing for them. But I just I don't have the confidence to, to go all in with them. So, yeah, give me Texas in a competitive game. Yeah, I think this game is close, much closer than the eight and a half points. I, I would bet that that's got to be baked into just Baylor played a great game against TCU and now they wasted all their emotions and now they're going to go on the road to Austin just completely laying egg. Possible, very possible, but I don't see it happening. I think this is a pretty good matchup for Baylor, actually. Um, I think they're going to be able to stop the run well enough, and I think they're going to force Quinn Ewers to beat them. And maybe he will a few times, but maybe he won't in others. And I think that's going to be what keeps this game close. But I am going to take Texas here. Right. Um, I, I thought I we were going with the Baylor pick. I was about to say, no, man, you are I, being... Positive? I, yeah, I can't do it. On the road no. in Austin. And Texas is not very good. I mentioned this already, you know, when we previewed them. But, like, 
Baylor hasn't shown me any signs that they're going to go on the road and and find a way to it's not get a, the win. It's not about the opponent no, anymore, and it hasn't been for a while. And like I don't know if they don't quite know that. I think they know that now, but it it tr- it's not about the opponent. It's really not. Yeah, I just think if this game's close, they're going to lose. Right. And I think it's going to be close. Yeah. And so therefore, I think they're probably going to lose this game. I, I think it'll be something like uh, twenty-seven to twenty-three. Um, I got Texas winning this one and the Bears finishing six and six on the year. Yeah, and that would no matter how you slice it be disappointing. Uh, you know, barring had you said like they lose their starting quarterback for ten weeks, then right. you could say six and six, but uh, that's that's disappointing by pretty much any measure. Uh, that type of a step down from from last year, even with the losses that you incurred, but that's part of the deal. It's part of the roller coaster, and it has been a roller coaster ride this year. So we both go Texas final regular season game of the season. Uh, here this Friday coming up, uh, and so you know, enjoy it while it lasts. Even though it's been hard to enjoy at times because it's going to be gone before you know it, and then we'll be getting back into that long windup of a buildup for next season. Um, but good to see folks are already kind of turned their attention that direction and getting excited about that. Trust me, we'll have plenty of time to discuss every aspect of next year's team and how it comes together and and all those things over the next few months but uh, until next time uh, thanks to the good folks behind the scenes jacob and garrett and jack as well for grace and gruden hafer uh, i'm craig smoke happy thanksgiving safe travels everybody and uh, thanks for listening as always to the Bearcast. good luck to the bears down in austin and we'll talk about all that with you coming up next week until next time this has been the Bearcast, sikkim365.com, 365 Sports.